Would you please stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 49:29 through 50:21? Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought for the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good job on those pronunciations, Ray, and it's, it's brutal, it's a brutal passage. Um, very uplifting passage today, I know, lots, lots of death. Um, before, uh, before I pray, I want to read a couple of verses from the New Testament that are going to be important for today's uh, passage. This is... Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. These, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 11, 13 to 15. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of this story, I pray that you would give us open eyes and hearts to see, to understand what faith looks like, that you would increase our faith in you and what you're doing in the world around us, in our lives, that we would trust and believe in the home that you have made for us. So do now what we cannot do for ourselves to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to listen, to hear, and believe. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is the difference between a house and a home? You know this distinction, the difference between a house and a home? A house has walls, usually. I guess it doesn't have to, but it has a roof at least. It's a place, a physical place to live where you can sleep and eat and have food. That's a house. A home is not less than that, but it is a lot more, right? A home is a big, much bigger, much deeper, much more satisfying category. And we use the word like this all the time. When someone comes into my house and I say, make yourself at home. I'm not saying make this your house. I'm saying make this feel a certain way. Make yourself comfortable, feel safe and accepted and welcome here. Where we say things like home is where the heart is. Or detaching it from physical place altogether and talking about this idea of being accepted and loved and safe. Robert Frost famously wrote, home is the place where when you go there, they have to take you in. A place of welcome and acceptance, right? Home is about being safe, being secure, feeling loved. It's a place where you can be yourself. That's this ethereal thing called home. It's not less than place. It's not less than a house to live in, but it's a lot more than that. Maya Angelou, famous civil rights activist, said, the ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go 
as we are and not be questioned. The ache for home lives in all of us. Today's text is about Jacob's death and burial. And it's a story about death, but it's also a story about that ache for home, for land and for place. Not land and place as a thing to possess, but as a home, as the home that we know of. You see, God in Genesis 12, again, promised blessing. We looked at that last week. But he also promised Abraham land. And this land promise is a driving force in the Old Testament plot line, in the Torah plot line all the way through, all the way up through the book of Joshua where they enter the land. The land, the promised land is a driving narrative force. And Christianity follows along with that in not being some kind of ethereal, you know, spiritual-only story. It's a story about place, about land that's lost. Eden was a place. It was a home for Adam and even for humanity, and that home was lost. And God promised to bring them to the promised land. And this week, you can put the slide up, Molly. We're in the final section here, living in light of God's plan to bring about the things that he has promised. Last week, we looked at God's promise of blessing, and this week, I want to look at God's promise of land, a plan to bring us home. And for many people, myself included, over the years of reading the Bible, I understand the blessing promise. I know what blessing looks like and feels like. I understand the promise of family. I know what a family is, but the promise of land feels a little inaccessible to me, right? What does this little dusty piece of land about the size of New Jersey, very far away, have anything to do with believing in Jesus? So at the risk of Wandering a bit today, I want to help clarify this, shed some light on this promise of land. And Hebrews, the part in Hebrews that I just read, indicates that what we just read in Genesis gives us one of the most clear pictures of what faith looks like. You want to believe in Jesus? We should read Genesis 49 and 50 because that describes and pictures what it means to believe in God. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be jumping around a little bit in Genesis today, so if you have it and can follow along, that would be helpful to you. Otherwise, you can just listen as I read some of these texts. But I want to offer you three things that Jacob says that I think are affirmations of his faith in God that we also are invited to say as affirmations of faith. The first one, I'll give them to you up front, make Allison happy that she can hear my points ahead of time, right? Okay. For the first point, the first affirmation of faith that Jacob makes is, this is not our home. The second affirmation is, but we are not homeless. And the third affirmation is, God will bring us home. The first affirmation, this first affirmation, this is not our home, is found in actually earlier in the story in Genesis 47. You see, we read this portion, this portion where Jacob actually gets buried, but the, chapter 47, 48, 49, and 50 are all one story about Jacob's burial. It starts in Genesis 47, towards the end of the chapter in verse 29. This is what it says in 47, 29. And when the time drew near that Jacob must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh, this is the way they swore to one another in the Old Testament, and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. And then he says this sentence, Do not bury me in Egypt. (laughs) Do not bury me in Egypt. That's his last dying wish and request. 
do not bury me in Egypt. Now, I don't know if we think a lot about where and how we're buried. Sometimes people want to be buried in their hometown or in their family burial plot. In the Old Testament, where you were buried was an incredibly important thing. <laughs> it said a lot about who you were, what you believed, and who you belonged to. And so when Jacob says, do not bury me in Egypt, he's saying, Egypt is not my home. I do not belong in this place. I mean, Egypt had everything there was to offer. They were even able to embalm him to take him weeks across land to bury him somewhere else. They had, all of his family was there. Joseph was reigning over the land. He has everything he could want, and yet he looks Joseph in the face and said, this is not where I belong. This is not my home. In Hebrews affirms this. <laughs> it says, having acknowledged that they, J Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus, who call themselves exiles and strangers, make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Jacob, for his life, especially in Egypt, saw himself as an exile. He saw himself as a stranger. It's this difference between renting a home and owning a home, right? You know how when you rent a home, like things break and you're like, Eh, it'll be fine. Not my problem, right? This is Jacob's in Egypt, and he's like, ah, I'm just kind of renting here in Egypt. This is not my home. I don't own this place. You know the famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, if we find in ourselves with a desire, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. And Jacob looks in the face of his death, and he says, this is not my home. I don't belong here to be an exile and a stranger is to say this is not this is not it this is not this may be a house but it's not a home this is the first affirmation of faith to look around the world and to say this is not my home this is not our home if we say that with faith in our hearts to believe it it will dramatically impact how we live in the world what we expect to gain from the world because we're not saying this is not a house, we're saying this is not our home. This is not the thing that can fulfill my desires. No physical space that you live in can be your forever home in a real sense. No country that you dwell in can be your permanent country, can satisfy your desire for safety and acceptance. Right? No business that you accomplish or achieve will actually satisfy your desire to feel like you've arrived at home but it's also true relationally with one another. No family that you're in is going to feel like home all the time, right? This is why family vacations, we went on a family vacation with my family a couple weeks ago, or you have family holidays. Why does it that everybody makes fun of Thanksgiving with the family? That's not a place where you go to feel like you're accepted. That's the place where you go to try and avoid arguments about politics with Uncle Sam. Al, whoever your uncle is that likes to argue about politics. You don't necessarily feel welcome and alive when you're at... Thanksgiving with your family. There's no spouse that you can marry that will make you feel like you're at home all the time. There's no connection, whether it's personal, relational, on social media, right, where you can feel alive and at home. If we understand this is not our home, it changes the way that we look at things, the what we expect from them, right? This is part of the problem with our politics. Right? If you catch this in terms of home, the progressive left has this vision of the world being a place that's home for everyone, that everyone can be embraced as they are and feel at home. We go, this is not our home, it doesn't work like that. The conservative right has this vision of defending our homeland as a place where we can feel at home ourselves. That's not going to work because this is not our home. This affirmation that Jacob makes there and translates through the Bible 
It undercuts all types of nationalism. Christian nationalism here in America, but it also undercuts Israeli nationalism because this is not our home and the dusty little land of Israel is not home either. And in so many ways, this is where faith starts because we have to say this in order to break our like idolatrous attachments with the things of the world, the things we're hoping to get something out of. This is, the, this is where faith begins. It, help, it helps explain, at least for me, some of my perpetual disappointments. Like you do a big project, you plan a big move for your church, it just never lives up to the hype, right? You plan a family meeting, and oh, everyone shows up, so that does live up to the hype. Right? No matter what you do, there's always that little voice inside that says, this didn't live up to the hype, that meal that you make, it's never quite good enough. We built our own house last year, and we were already like planning four remodels. Because it just doesn't live up to the hype. Like We're constantly, perpetually disappointed in the world, and we are surprised at this unless we can look around the world and say, this is not our home. This place cannot be home for me. And what it does, if we can say that, is it frees us from the striving to get there, to find that, to arrive at the forever home, the forever family, the thing that makes us feel like home because this isn't home. That's the first affirmation of faith. And that seems like it might lead to a, like, a lot of de- depression and restlessness. But Jacob continues, and there's another affirmation here, and that's the affirmation that although this is not our home, we are not homeless. Track with me here. I'm going to take you on a little journey about the land and about this cave. Hopefully you noticed this as we were reading. There's a lot of obsession about the cave. Genesis 49, 27. We're back up at the top. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. This is affirmed in a lot more detail in the passage that we read today. Find where it is. He commanded Jacob's commands, and this is verse 29, should be up here. He commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron. (laughs) You get the point. And Sarah was buried there, and Abraham was buried there, and Isaac was buried there, and Rebekah was buried there. What's the deal with the cave? What's the deal with the field that was bought from the Hittites? To understand that, you've got to go back, of course, to Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I will bring you into this land and I will give it to you. And then he visits him in chapter 15, and he says, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God comes again in chapter 17, verse 8, and says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Fast forward, you get to Genesis 23, and Sarah dies. And to Genesis 23, it's really interesting. I encourage you to go back and read it if, if you can later. It's the story of Abraham buying this plot of land. And this is what Abraham says to the Hittites. He says, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me possession among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. It's the same word used in Genesis 17 that God said to Abraham, I will give you this land as a possession. And now here he is and he's with the Hittites and he says, give me this land as a 
possession. And then he goes on to bury his wife and his son and his son's wife and his son's son's wife. The cave in the field was literally the only piece of the promised land that Abraham possessed. It was a foretaste. It was a possession of a home that had been promised. And Jacob says to Joseph, don't bury me here, this is not my home. Take me to that one place. Take me to that one thing that is my actual home. Ian Duguid says, in antiquity, the decision to be buried in a particular place meant that you were permanently committing your body to a particular piece of the ground and therefore to the care of the God associated with it. Jacob says, I want to go over there because that's the possession that God has promised. That is my home. Jacob is pledging allegiance to a different God. He's pledging allegiance to a different home, a different place where he knows he can be satisfied and fulfilled. And he affirms this. In chapter 48, verse 3, right before he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, he tells Joseph, God, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a great company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you as an everlasting possession. This is a really important point. Because the land was a real promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he really fulfills it in Joshua when the whole nation goes in and takes over that actual little piece of land, that house for for the nation of Israel to live in. But Palestine was never the point. Palestine was never home. Not for Jacob, not for Abraham, not for Isaac, and not for us. When God says, I will give you a possession, an eternal possession, he's talking about giving them a home. The land of Egypt is a, or the land of Israel is a house. God is promising a home, a place where they can be accepted and live. And this is what we see all over the New Testament because the New Testament uses this word of possession and inheritance and applies it to us. This is fam- famously from Ephesians chapter 1. In Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, a possession. And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The same idea of possessing a home is central to believing in what God is doing for us through Christ. Home that is peace and safety and security and permanence and possession. Again, Hebrews affirms this. It says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. If the first affirmation of faith is to say, this is not my home, the second way that we believe and affirm in what God is doing is to say, but we do have a home. God is preparing a home for us. There is a place that we can point to and say, God has given this to us as a possession. It's a heavenly home. And for us as New Testament Christians, the application here is that we need to, just like Joseph, Jacob, be training ourselves to desire that better home instead. To be training our heart to long for that home, that possession. To be organizing and orienting our lives around that home. And this is what Jacob does. Don't bury me here. Take this giant procession and bury me out there in the promised land because that's the place where I know God has given us. And so there's this invitation to orient our lives around those things that we know God has given. And 
Ephesians tells us that one of them is the Holy Spirit. That to wake up in the morning, we go through the day, right, and we're like, we're trying to make it feel like home, and God says, no, I give you my spirit. That's home. Presence of my spirit is the thing that makes you feel accepted, that makes you know that I love you. Another way we can do this is by identifying with Jesus and his way of life. We talked about this last, last fall in the book of Mark. To desire a better country is to say, I'm going to orient my life. Jacob, in Jacob's case, it's orienting his burial ground around the things of God and of Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation, right, of God himself, and he invites us to come and live his way of life. That includes orienting our life around this, the public worship of God around his table. We say, right here is my home. This is a physical representation of the home that God is going to provide, and I possess it here That's what Jacob is doing. All of these things are our way of saying, bury me in the cave. Bury me in the cave where God has given for us to possess. Give me the Holy Spirit. Give me the worship of God. Give me Jesus. The first affirmation is to say, this is not my home. The second one is to say, but I do have a home. I'm not homeless. But the third and final thing is to say what Jacob says In chapter 48, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, chapter 48, verse 21, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. The third affirmation is to say, God will bring us home. In reality, no one we're reading about in this story except for the moment that they go in and bury Jacob. Never, they never saw the promised land again. They never lived in it. They never got there. Neither did their kids or their kids or their kids or their kids. 450 years later until the book of Joshua and they entered into the land and then even fully they didn't possess it. But right here in this moment, Jacob says, God will bring you up. Hebrews says that faith is believing what you have not seen. There's this giant space that exists between this is not my home and I have a home. That space right there, that's faith to say God will bring me to that place. That I know that I have this home that I possess and God is going to lead me there. This is a difficult road to walk as exiles and strangers in a world that's not our home. But faith is believing that God will bring us there. We had this game when I was growing up, a little board game. I've tried in vain to find it. It was like some no-name brand that had this board, that you, two boards you flipped over, it had four different games and these little rudimentary pieces. And one of them, I don't even remember the name of the game, but one of them, we called it Get Home. We'd always ask him when I was seven, eight, nine, like, I want to play Get Home. I want to play Get Home, and you fight to get home first, right? Faith is the opposite of that. <laughs> it's like God will bring us home. It's not you have to get home. It's not I have to strive to get through home. It's not that I have to strive to possess it. God will bring you home. To be able to look, wake up in the morning and say, God will bring me home. This is not my home, but I do have a home, and God will bring me there. That's what Jacob is saying. He's saying, I'm going to die. You just take me over there, put me in the ground, because I know that God will bring all of us home. That's faith. That we don't have to earn home. God gives it to us as an inheritance, as a possession. God will surely do it. And living with that kind of faith leads to patience, leads to endurance, it leads to joy in the face of whatever happens. 
because we can say God will bring us home. The home you long for, the disappointment that you feel on a day-to-day basis when things don't live up to what you hoped they would be, God will bring you home. Do you believe this? Do you fight to believe this? In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, do you orient your life around believing that God will bring you home? And do you know that God is preparing a place? Not a building, <laughs> a home. A home, a place that satisfies us, where we find that we actually belong. These are the affirmations of faith that Jacob makes. This is not my home. I'm not homeless. God will bring me home. And God invites us to, to believe, to have that faith, the faith of Jacob, to live in the freedom that comes with knowing this isn't our home and not trying to get something out of it that it can't give us, to desire the better home and to wait patiently and with joy for God to bring us to that place. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of our hearts, our restless hearts that are so often drawn to try and find or create or obtain or earn home, whatever that means for each of us, that desire to feel accepted and loved, to feel safe and secure, to feel successful, to feel like we belong. We strive for it and we seek it and we're constantly disappointed, Father, we confess and admit that. We ask that, as Jacob did, that we would admit that this is not our home. That in this pilgrim life, that our hope is in you who will bring us to the place that we do possess because of your spirit, because of Christ. I pray now that you would allow that faith to be true in our hearts. That each day we would seek to know you and to receive the gift of your spirit, which is a guarantee of our inheritance. I pray now for our tithes and offerings, for our giving, that you would bless it, that you would use it to build up your kingdom, not our kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world, but that we would use it faithfully to point to the kingdom of God, which is our home. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.